Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we're talking to John Warlow, author of Built to Sell, Creating a Business That Can Thrive Without You. He's going to tell us how to create a valuable, sellable company, no matter what stage your company is in. All that and more on today's episode. You just mind your P's and Q's, buster, and remember who you're dealing with. How about a fresco? Hi, this is Victoria Downing. I'm the host of Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. I'm really excited because this is our very first podcast. Woo! Whoop, 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 whoop. And I'm here with my co-host, Mark Carrari. Yeah, you are. So we're pumped about this. It's a new way for us to deliver content to our many remodeling contractor friends and clients that are all, all over the U.S. and Canada. So we're pumped and especially excited about our first guest here. Oh, it's going to be a fantastic... I'm so excited. It's the best part. Even if the show completely falls off the radar after this, at least we got to talk to John Warlow. <laughs> yeah. This is fantastic. But so. you know, the cool part of it is, is we've been having tons of new subscribers already, just from our episode zero. So that's a great way to kick this off. And we especially want John's message to get out to as many remodelers as we can. Yep. And as we mentioned in episode zero, bringing that up, we, um, we're going to celebrate with a big giveaway at the end of this. So... Uh, stay tuned. We'll give you guys the secret password at the end, and hopefully we get tons of winners because mm-hmm. the more listeners we have to this first week, uh, the more winners we're going to have. All right. All right, so let's dive in. So we, today we get to talk to John Warlow. He is an award-winning entrepreneur and advisor. He's, As Mark said, he's the author of the book Built to Sell, which I loved. I read this book probably a year ago, and I refer to it over and over and over again. John, mm. would you say it's written like a like a fable, a how, how would you describe the style? Yeah, it's a story. I mean, if you've read The E-Myth, which a lot of contractors mm-hmm. would have read, uh, it's it's similar in, in format. It's a story with a protagonist and a, and a mentor. And it's just a good way to, to sort of drive home a couple of key points that, uh, that uh, you know, maybe a little bit more digestible than a dry business book. You know, and it, it was really a lot of fun to read. Now, you know, my background's ad agencies, so of course it really resonated with me. But the whole idea that you were talking about a service business, it was so applicable to our members. Mm, so that yeah. was pretty cool. Do yeah, you specialize service- in, in the service service businesses or...? Well, I wouldn't say we specialize, but, you know, at Value Builder, we get a lot of service companies because, um, you know, if, if you've got assets in your company, if you've got, uh, you know, a, a big plant or machinery, a printing press. I mean, that in and of itself is, is an asset you could sell. But if you're, if you're a service company, uh, you know, beyond maybe the trucks that you've got on the road, you really don't have a lot of assets, yet a lot of service companies want to eventually sell. And so the question is, how do I sell just air? Uh, that's <laughs> called goodwill, by the way, but, mm-hmm. but a lot of companies have it, some don't. And, and that's really kind of what we, what we talk about. You know, you're going to be our summit keynote speaker this year. We're going to be going to the summit on September 26th in New Orleans, and you're going to be our keynote or talking to all the hundreds of remodelers that are there about about this very topic. It's not only if you want to sell, but you also talk about just building a high-value business in general, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think there's there's really two uh, ways you can approach uh, building out a, a service business. And, and I call it the hub and spoke manager uh-huh. versus the apple picker. And and the idea behind a hub, hub and spoke manager is, um, is thinking all decisions come back to the hub, right? And so you want a new supplier, you've got a job that needs contract, you need a quote, everything gets decided by the hub. And that can be a very efficient, very rewarding way to run a business. 
uh, but it's not a sellable company. And so when that contractor leaves, there's really nothing left to sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the apple picker is the person uh, visually is the person watching uh, an apple orchard where the, the pickers and the, are actually picking the apples off the tree, putting them on a flatbed truck and, and the flatbed truck is leaving. The apple picker is the person watching that all take place. Okay. That's a way, very different way to think about running a contractor business. There's mm-hmm. a lot of contractors that I, I know, I mean, part of their ego is built up in, hey, I'm the guy, right? I'm the guy people come That's to. Right. There's a problem when they have a complicated job, when they need something really unique done, I'm the one mm-hmm. that they're going to come to. And that can be very gratifying for an ego, but it also makes the business not very sellable without, without that individual. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about. So, so tell us about that. So we were, I was just in a meeting moments ago, and I came mm. over here, and we know very few remodelers who have been able to successfully sell their business. And one person was just sharing his story about how he did it successfully. And he talked about a lot of the things, the steps they took that were similar to the steps you describe in your book. Tell us, what do you think are the top actions or the top development steps that any business owner should do to develop a sellable company? Well, the, the single biggest is also the single toughest. Uh, so it, it, it requires the strongest stomach, but, but really it's about specialization. And, and a, lot of, a lot of folks that I, I, you know, people that we've hired for general contract work in our home, for example, uh, you know, they're a little bit jack of all trades, right? Mm-hmm. They'll do a kitchen, they'll do a bathroom, they'll do, uh, you, know, re, you know, a new, a new roof. And, and that's great. But as soon as you want to scale that business, you've got to hire employees. Right. And, be, and hiring employees is difficult because they don't have the same expertise as you do. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you start hiring, and if they do, by the way, they're going to go start their own remodeling company. And so <laughs> you've really got to specialize. So because employees are, are thrive on repetitions, right? And so specialization might be specializing in one room of the house, one facade of the building, uh, one type of treatment, but something that you can train other people to, to deliver. And once you can train other people to deliver, it creates this kind of domino effect where you can train other people to deliver, you can hire salespeople to sell it, and, and you can start to build a business that's not necessarily dependent on you personally. And that's where a lot of the scale and, and, and ultimately lifestyle benefits of owning a business start to take hold. Man, that's that's great. You know, John, I, I speak and educate on uh, marketing and best practices. And yeah. one of the things I uh, comes up frequently is um, the power of specialization. Yeah. And from just the marketing side of it, it's less of an impact on your marketing budget. Um, you can you can really get hyper um, focused on your target market and audience. Um, the the marketing benefits alone have been what I've been preaching. So hearing you talk about um, the impact it has on on the company as a whole and and the value of the company i mean that's just this this is something you should not be missing out on you know the marketing benefits of specialization are almost in my mind secondary to the overall operational benefits Mm -hmm. again if you if you do a lot of different things it's going to be very difficult to train somebody and once you do train them to do a roof and a kitchen and a bathroom and a a, a full like renovation guess what they're going to leave right? Because mm-hmm. they've got the experience there and there's nothing holding them to the company. Mm-hmm. So I think the more scalable companies, the more valuable ones say, we're going to specialize. We're just going to do uh, air conditioning retrofits. We're just going to do windows. We're just going to do roofs. And, and I can hire people in the very specific expertise around mm-hmm. that area. Mm-hmm. And that allows me to, to scale it beyond me personally. Okay. And to your point, Mark, it gives you the marketing differentiation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
so would you say that um, a, a company that's generalist, we do everything, we can do it all, they're at a disadvantage in, when trying to sell? Oh, they're, they're essentially unsellable companies. It's not that they're uh-huh. at a disadvantage, they're, they're almost unsellable. Uh, construction companies, remodeling companies uh, get the worst multiple of all the verticals we've ever looked at. Wow. So we look at all kinds of, we look at every NAICS code or North American industry code, they used to call SICK codes. Mm-hmm. We look at uh, professional services, manufacturing, retailers, and construction is at the bottom. Wow. And, and the reason for that is, as we've just talked about, they're too dependent on the, the, the owner, mm-hmm. right? The owner is getting their ego gratified by being the guy that is the, the go-to person for mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And while that can be rewarding, uh, you know, from an ego perspective, they're also undermining their ability to sell their company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, no, it is, uh, they're at a profound disadvantage. In fact, they're almost unsellable companies. Mm-hmm. So in addition to specializing and forming that, uh, that, that focused effort, what are some mm-hmm. of the other things that are critical for a company who wants to, to be able to thrive without the owner and be saleable? Yeah, I'd say the next big step is is recurring revenue because when a buyer buys the business, they're going to want to know, okay, how is this company going to continue once you, the owner, leave? And and recurring revenue is what they want to see. So let me give an example. Um, you'd be familiar with security companies, the guys mm-hmm. who install security systems in homes and offices. So they have two forms of revenue, right? They've got installation revenue where you go and install the keypads and wire up the sensors. And then they've got the recurring revenue that is the monitoring revenue. Right. Well, a typical acquirer today will spend about 75 cents for every dollar of installation revenue. So if you have a business that's generating a million dollars of revenue and all you do is installations, it's probably worth about $750,000 today. Uh. By, con- by contrast, if you do only the monitoring, which is the recurring revenue, the $29, $39 a month we pay, that business is worth $2 for every single dollar of revenue. A million dollar company that all they do is monitoring is worth $2 million instead of $750,000, mm-hmm. almost three times more. Mm-hmm. So the, the trick is to find out what your customers need to purchase on some sort of recurring basis, some sort of regular cadence. And that's the business you wanna be in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what about, talk a little bit about personnel and bench strength and how important that is and delegation and that sort of thing. Because I know it's so difficult for so many small business owners. Well, again, here it comes back to specialization because if you're grooming your, your apprentice and you're, you're explaining them to how to do everything, they will thank you very much for that and in about <laughs> three weeks leave. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so what you want is, is specialists who get really good at very specific things within your company. So if you, if you decide to do window installations, for example, mm-hmm. in homes, um, you want to train someone on executing that task and think of it like you're running a manufacturing plant you want someone to be able to manufacture that uh you you run that machine essentially you want to break your tasks down into very specific tasks because it's much more difficult for them to leave at that point right Mm -hmm. they've got Mm -hmm. a very specific siloed set of services and they're really good at them and for you that makes them very valuable to you as an employer but not necessarily quite as valuable to the marketplace and, and it doesn't give them the, necessarily the, the, the ability to go compete with you as a contractor. Right. Whereas, again, if you, if you just train them on everything, they're going to they're gonna compete with you as soon as they're, they're able, mm-hmm. which is usually a few years into, into an apprenticeship. Okay, so we've got specializing as a company, specializing in skills individually. 
So yeah. if, if I'm an outside investor or and I'm thinking about purchasing a, a, a business, yeah. what else am I looking for? Yeah, so, for, so first of all, it's gotta be not, the company has to be independent of the owner. Uh, that means sales and everything, right? Oh yeah. I mean, that's yeah. one of the last things that these remodelers let go is that, uh, is that responsibility for sales. Right, right. And part of that is quoting, right? So part of it is like, I don't want to trust anybody else to do the job. I've got to live with their quote. Um, you, you know, and, and again, part of that is because they're, the, the, the breadth of things they're doing is too wide, which is why they don't trust anyone to do the quoting. Mm -hmm. If you had a business and all you did was install air conditioning units, for example, mm -hmm. you would get really good at quoting those jobs. Mm -hmm. but it's when you throw in the odd kitchen and the, you know, the odd uh, you know, bathroom renovation that all of a sudden the complexity of quoting becomes more difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's going to be important. We talk about this thing called the Switzerland structure yes. and the most valuable companies have the Switzerland structure as the way they go to market. And it means that, you know, the country of Switzerland, they're, they're, they're obsessed with their independence, right? They don't yes. join the world wars. They don't use the Euro. They're kind of obsessed <laughs> with this idea of Switzerland. There's even the, the joke, you know, I want to be Switzerland on, on this. <laughs> the idea here is that for your company to be valuable, it's got to be independent of the three legs of the Switzerland structure stool, which are any customer, mm -hmm. employee, or supplier. So you, ha you can't have any customer generating more than 10 or 15% of your revenue without raising a red flag. Mm -hmm. Can't be dependent on any employee. Uh, and the third is one that we often forget is it cannot be dependent on any single supplier either. Okay. Uh, one of our guys, uh, one of the people I interviewed for my podcast was a guy named Rick Day. Uh, he installed uh, uh, telephony systems into offices, so phone systems. And he became really dependent on Avaya. More than 90% of his supply, the stuff he was installing for these business owners, uh, was Avaya gear. And when he went to sell his company, he took a steep discount because they said, well, what happens if Avaya changes business strategy? What happens if they go direct? What happens if they go bankrupt? You're going to be really um, pinched. Right. And so... Uh, that, that discounted them. So Switzerland structure is make sure your business is not dependent on any customer, employee, or supplier. John, where would you put the importance of having um, systems and processes in place? Where, where would you scale that as far as the sellability of a company? Yeah, for sure. It, it comes down to hub and spoke, meaning uh, you've got to make that choice. Do you want to be an apple picker or do you want to be a hub and spoke? If you're a hub and spoke manager, you don't have to systematize everything because everything comes to you anyways, right? Mm -hmm. If they need a job, they need a quote, they need a supply, it all comes to you. You, you direct traffic basically. And that is the definition of a rewarding job. You're going to feel great when you go home at night because you'll feel like you made a difference and you will have built an unsellable, worthless company. So it's, it's a horrible <laughs> disconnect, right? Because you, you built, you feel good. You're, you've made, made an impact. You've helped people. And yet you've, you've basically dug yourself to your own grave because you, you, you haven't built something sellable. The, the inverse is, is, is the opposite, where you think of yourself as an apple picker. You're thinking of yourself as someone who's building something independent of you that can thrive when you're not there. And Mark, you bring up one of the key uh, sort of, ways to do that, which is systematizing, writing it down, explaining the nine steps to quoting a kitchen job or the six steps to installing a window frame, really making sure that your employees can do it without you. And as counterintuitive as that feels, as, as sort of horrible as that feels, it's exactly what you need to do to build a valuable company. So you talked about, again, um, not being dependent on suppliers or customers or employees. So what do you yeah. mean by that one, the employee, not being too dependent on an employee? 
Well, let's say you have a, a, a right-hand person, right? A second in command, someone who's really, really uh, your go-to. Maybe he or she has been with you for 20 years and, and really is, is your, maybe their, your job site foreman, whatever. A buyer's going to look at that company and say, well, when we buy this company, we need to lock up that person. We need to make sure that person comes with us and that's going to be expensive. And so um, if you have a second in command, uh, that that will make them feel like the, the business is perhaps less dependent on you personally. At least there's two of you, uh, but it's still going to be not as attractive as an asset as if that that decision-making and the expertise is, is more uh, uh, spread out across the company. And so you don't want to have an over-reliance on a single employee either. With the exception of me. So <laughs> I, I don't want you to put any bad ideas in her head there, John. Yeah, really. You're kind of like... Mm, eyebrows are going up on that one. <laughs> All right, so in your book, you, it's, I love the way it's written again because it's written as a story and I was following it along and the, the, the protagonist, I guess, has a mentor, Ted, right? Yeah. And one of Ted's tips in your book says, build a management team and offer them a long-term incentive plan that rewards their personal performance and loyalty. Why is that an important tip for Ted to pass along? Well, again, when a buyer comes in to buy their business, it's a very disruptive time, right? And so... Well, why? Be- why is it disruptive? Well, it's disruptive because, uh, you know, you know when, you, when, when a business changes hands, oftentimes employees get nervous. Oftentimes employees get worried they're going to lose their job. Customers get freaked out. They worry that, that perhaps the, the service level is going to dip. And so it can be just very risky and, and, and so forth. And so what you really want to do is make sure that your key employees are on some sort of long-term incentive plan. That could be uh, a little bit of equity. It could be a, a long-term incentive plan where you're providing them a bonus over multiple years as opposed to just the year they're working in uh, or dividing their bonus up so it is paid in over across uh, multiple years. Okay. Uh, but, but you really want to uh, sort of lock them in long term. Okay. So that's pretty interesting. Um, if, if you were a business owner and you mm-hmm. were getting ready to sell and you had, let's say you had somebody approach you, you got your one company there, should you just stop there or how, what do you think about creating a competition sort of a bidding war on the business. Sure, sure. Yeah, it goes without saying that whenever there is is any sort of bidding war, uh, any sort of marketplace for the business, the value is going to go up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of what we talked about so far is is around selling. And I, mm-hmm. I don't want to leave the impression that we're really talking about selling a company because that's the, you know, that's the end game for a lot of business yes. owners. That's the 5, 10, 20 year goal. Uh, but a lot of the things we're talking about here are really about building a valuable company, which gives you the the power to uh, uh, to kind of call the shots. When you've got a business that's not dependent on you personally, mm-hmm. um, you could sell it if that's what you wanted to do, but you could also uh, enjoy the lifestyle benefits of having a company that's not dependent on you. You could take great holidays. You can do just the work that you want to do. You could bring in a general manager and, and leave yourself to just work on that kind of strategic projects. Mm-hmm. That's really... Uh, I think the panacea, that's the end game. And, and then, yeah, you could sell it if you wanted to. If you want to retire, you can do that. Uh, but, the, the, uh, but it starts with building a valuable company. And if you, the, the proxy for that or the definition of that is a company that can thrive without you personally, the owner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is so incredibly rare in this industry. You know, it, well, it's done yeah. on occasion, but it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's you know, 
there are some industries, technology, manufacturing companies, where, yeah, you can see thriving without the owner. It, it, it makes sense. It's not a very customer-centric industry. There's not a lot of customization being done. Uh, but with remodeling, it is the Achilles heel of this industry, right? Mm -hmm. Too wide a product or service suite, too many things, too dependent on the owner. Great lifestyle business. If you're busy, you know, lots of cash coming in the business, uh, you know, lots of happy clients. It feels good at the end of the day. Lots of lifestyle benefits. You're just not building anything long-term of any value unless you start to specialize and pick one thing that you're going to be known for and then start the process of building a, a more valuable company. Now, here's another one of Ted's tips that you that is in your book, which I love. Think big. Write a three-year business plan that paints a picture of what is possible for your business. Remember, the company that acquires you, and again, we're not saying you have to sell, but the company that acquires you um, will have more resources for you to accelerate your growth. So, but it, so tell us about that. Why is that a good thing to do? Yeah, so so planning out your future, obviously, uh, you're projecting out what you can possibly do is going to be is going to be important from just from an everyday business planning perspective. When it comes to the acquisition of your company and, and making it more valuable, uh, a buyer is going to want to know what's the future of this company, right? So uh, so yeah, you built it to whatever a million, two million in annual sales. Um, what they want to know is. Can, you know, can we make it five, $10 million in annual sales, $20 million in those? That's what they want to understand. And so if you build out a business plan and explain to them how you would do that, whether you'd enter new markets, whether you'd hire different people, whether you, you know, how would you grow it? Um, you don't actually ironically have to grow it to be that big, but you have to demonstrate that you have the ideas and, and the strategy to do that. Um, to make it even more valuable. And again, back, back to what we just talked about, I think the more um, you've got that plan in place, uh, the more you can communicate that to your employees about where you're going as a business, what the future ent entails, et cetera. So in one hand, you're saying that if you build this three-year business plan, you think big and you have all these ideas, you're doing it with the concept that you're going to have a new influx of cash to invest because a company will come by and acquire you or that they, or that they can invest if they purchased. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The way I usually think about it is imagine you have a blank check and the only stipulation is you have to write that check to the business. You have to invest that money in the business to make it grow as quickly as you can. What would you do? Because there's a thing called the five to 20 rule, which means that the natural acquirer for your company is going to be between five and 20 times the size of your business. I had never heard that before. Yeah, that is absolutely. very interesting. No, it doesn't always happen, but it's just a rule of thumb. But if you think about it, if the business is five to 20 times the size, they effectively do have a blank check, right? They're, they're yeah. much larger than you. They've got much more resources. And so they could simply say, okay, what are we going to do here to scale this business up? And so mm -hmm. they want to be able to answer that question. Mm -hmm. So it's another trick you can, that you can use. So is it important if you don't plan to sell, if you just want to build this high value business to develop that three-year plan? I mean, you're going to show your, you're going to, you're going to be developing the plan. You're going to be able to show it to your employees, get them all excited. Is, are there other things, other reasons to do it? Yeah, I can't remember who was the first one who ever said it, but the idea that if you're if you're not growing, you're actually dying. Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. I, do you remember who that was? I do not. That? I've certainly heard oh, it over the years. So very famous prophet. But remember, your employees that have joined you, uh, the more ambitious of them want to see growth, right? They want to know where their next job is going to come from. People who join you at age 20, 25, 30, they don't want to be doing the same thing at age 55 right. and 65, right? They want to know that there's advancement. 
And so I think it's incumbent on you to, to, to show them, hey, at this company, we've got a future. We're, we're going places. These, this is where we're headed. So there's a sense that, that over time, those, those employees are going to grow with you as mm-hmm. well. So mm-hmm. I think it's important for just for employee morale as well. All right. That, that makes a lot of sense. John, this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you so much for joining us on this. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Hey, you know what time it is, John? No, what time is it? It's that time. And now, here's the Remodeler's Advantage Lightning Round. It's a trap! All right, I'm putting one minute on the clock. I might go a little bit over because it is John Warlow. But we're going to put one minute on the clock and we're going to start hitting some questions. You ready? Yep, for sure. All right, buddy. What's your favorite business book and why? I love the Challenger sale. It's uh, a brand new way to think about selling, and it is uh, the the next extension from Neil Rackham's Spin Selling. So great book. If you weren't doing what you're doing today, author and owner of a strategic consulting company, what would you be doing? 60 Minutes hosts. <laughs> I love Mike Wallace when he'd go into like the car dealership and he'd screw the guy over when he's, you know, like making all the, you know, rolling back the odometer. That was my favorite. So I'd be a, I'd be a 60 Minutes You'd be really good at that too. <laughs> what are you not very good at? Remodeling. Anything to do with fixing stuff. I am useless. Your room, your desk, or your car, which do you clean first? Oh, desk for sure. I can't leave the office without having my desk totally clear. If there was a movie produced about your life, who would play you and why? Oh my gosh. Uh, you know what? I ran. <laughs> I was on an elevator once and someone said, hey, you're Doogie Howser. And I... <laughs> I am not Neil Patrick Harris, but someone <laughs> said I look like that guy. So, I don't know, maybe him. Yeah, there you go. I can see the resemblance. Would, no, don't would, say that. Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? <laughs> <laughs> That's my sentiments, exactly. Neither. <laughs> Uh, neither. Like that just paints a picture that should, no one should have to look at. Yeah, it's just that's just odd, right? I know. I like to kind of throw curveballs at you. You've done that. Okay, that was awesome. Thank you, John. So, You're again, we appreciate this greatly. You're going to be kicking off our first podcast, but before we go, mm-hmm. I want to ask you to share five words of wisdom with our listeners. So my five words, it's actually six, but I've limited it to five by taking one of the words out, are (laughs) revenue is vanity, value, sanity. That's perfect. That's perfect. If you gave me six words, it would be revenue is vanity, value is is sanity. But the idea of, of being clear is what are you trying to do? Are you just trying to grow revenue for revenue's sake, or are you trying to build a more valuable company? Awesome. Perfect way to end this. Thank you so much, Don. You've been awesome. We cannot wait to see you at the 2018 Summit in New Orleans, September 26th, focused on legacy. And, and John, you have a, um, I'm a listener. I love your podcast. I think it's great. Um, I think it's at builttosell.com. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's called Built to Sell Radio. Just, yeah, builttosell.com and a uh, whole archive there of, uh, of episodes. We interview a different entrepreneur who's sold his or her business each week and uh, some great stories there. All right, yeah, and you've got so much good material on your website as well. Plus, of course, the book is awesome. And you have another book as well, right? I have that yeah, in my bookshelf. The, yeah, the Automatic Customer. Mm-hmm. It's about recre- creating recurring revenue in any industry. Mm-hmm. So. Which is awesome. So yeah. thank you so much. We'll look forward to seeing you in September. See you in September. Thanks, John.
That was awesome, huh? Yeah, John I'm Gorillo. really excited about um, September. You know, and again, there's. It doesn't matter if you ever want to sell your business. Every time I talk to somebody, they want more time. They want to be able to leave. They want to be able to go on a three-week vacation or a month vacation and not worry the business is going to fall apart. And his stuff was right on target. Yeah, it was fantastic. That five, five to 20 roll? I had never heard of that. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. That's yeah, interesting. No kidding. It was, makes total sense. I was getting a little worried when he said don't depend on any one employee too much because you know, <laughs> I kind of like things the way they are right now. But Oh, um, we think you're all that, eh? So, Oh, no. Oh, were you thinking of me? Oh, that's so nice of you. I wasn't even thinking of myself. So this is what it's like to do a podcast, huh? That was pretty cool. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun, yeah. This is going to be a good run. I think so. I hope we get lots and lots and lots of subscribers. 52 of these a year? I can do that. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. So um, we only got one last thing. We promised everybody a big deal for episode one. We got to give away something, right? That's right. So thank you, everyone who is on this right now in our first week. Um, what is today? The 24th, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So January 24th, if you're one week within that date, you're listening to it as an early adopter and we're giving you, uh, well, a chance to win some really cool prizes. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go to, uh, powertipspodcast.com and in the upper navigation, you're going to see the big giveaway. Click on that and you can enter to win one of many prizes, depending on how many listeners we have this week. And what you're going to have to do is enter the secret password. And password is Caddyshack. And um, good luck. And make sure you share the episode with everyone. Mm-hmm. Every, the more people that listen this week, the more prizes we're going to be giving away potentially. And some really um, good stuff. Yeah, all the way up to a MacBook. So, mm-hmm. so please share this episode with everyone. And I hope, besides the prize, you got something out of this episode. That was good. Uh, Let's get Naomi to sign us off. I love Naomi. Naomi, (laughs) take it away. See you next week. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the Remodeler's Guide to Business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.